Welcome to the Gateways Beyond Cyprus podcast, featuring weekly teaching from our Discipleship Training School. For more information, please visit us online at gbcy.org. Acts chapter 19, we're going to read a story and then we're going to dive into it a little bit more. And um, when we read the Bible, what we like to do here is that we don't read it nonchalantly, but we give it value and, uh, and we read it with a clear and a strong voice to read the scripture. And so I like in the classroom setting, that if someone's going to read, that they're going to stand up and that they're going to read it out clearly. I'm not talking about your language ability. I'm talking about giving respect to God's word. So let's look at Acts 19. And we'll go from verses 1 through 6. This is the story of when Paul has come to the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is north of us here in this eastern part of the Mediterranean. If we were to go across these mountains, this little road right here next to us, and we take it over the ridge and down the other side of the Trotos Mountains, and we take it across the border to the northern Turkish side, and you head to the coast, and then you go straight across the water 40 miles, you hit the southern coast of Turkey. It's not far. Not far at all from us. And then there, if you were to kind of do a northwest trajectory, you would come to the city of Ephesus. So let's see what happens when Paul comes to Ephesus. Who would like to read this passage for us? Acts 19, 1 through 6. Thank you for your word today. We thank you that your word is alive, it's active. Father, we thank you that your word is powerful and applicable for every area of our lives. So we ask that you would give us eyes to see your heart through your word today, and it would change our lives, that we would be changed as we study your word today in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right, so let me just recap what goes on in this story. Paul comes to Ephesus and he finds a group of disciples there. And we find that they're not, they're disciples, they've become students. Um, disciples basically mean students. They've become students and they have a certain knowledge, but it's, it's limited in what they understand up to that point in their life. Specifically, when Paul asks about baptism. He says, were you baptized? Have you received the Holy Spirit? And they say, yes, we were baptized in John. We know that John came with a baptism of repentance. And he he spoke to all of Israel and he called them out to to turn from their wicked ways. He was a voice that came. and And it says in the Gospels that all of Israel came out to hear the message that John brought as he preached as a voice crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way for the first coming, for Yeshua to come upon the scene. And Paul, having come in the, from, from Jerusalem and come in his own journey out from there, was carrying the witness and the power of the Holy Spirit, another kind of baptism that had come upon the early group of believers as they were waiting for the promise that Yeshua had spoken to them. And they received the Holy Spirit as a baptism, as they were immersed in the Holy Spirit. And what happens in Acts chapter 2? Peter stands up, coming out of his shame, coming out of his denial, coming out of his 
resurrection, is empowered and stands up to be the very thing that Yeshua saw for his life. And he preaches with authority under the unction of the Holy Spirit and 3,000 are added to the kingdom. Now this is what's happening and there's a movement of the gospel in the book of Acts that's taking place from Acts 1 and 2 and we see expansion and movement and it's a movement of the Holy Spirit in the life of the early church, the early gathering of believers together. And so, and so Paul is coming now and he's, he's broken out. He's, he's been in Antioch and we find that in Acts chapter, well, in a few places that goes up uh, in Acts 13. And then he comes in, um, from Antioch and he comes to Cyprus and with Barnabas. And then they come from Cyprus to Asia Minor and they're making their way and they're preaching everywhere in Asia Minor. And he finds this group of have heard the message of John and they've repented. They're hungry for the word of God. And he speaks to him, have you received the Holy Spirit? And in this place, they say, we don't even know so much as there is a Holy Spirit, let alone have we received him. And so Paul gives the shortest description and teaching because it wasn't a teaching that was going to change them in that moment. He gives them description, but there's an encounter There's a transfer of the Holy Spirit when he lays his hands upon them and prays for them, and they are changed. Immediately it says that they prophesied and they spoke with tongues. He says John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, saying that people should believe on the one who would come after him. That's Yeshua. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Yeshua. And so they went from John's baptism of repentance to baptism into Yeshua. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. The point of, uh, that we're getting to with this story is not to give you an in-depth overview of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, but to talk about some of the fruit that takes place from receiving the Holy Spirit in our life. And, and what, I, what I want to share with us today is that when we receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does a work inside of our lives that there's a crying out from our innermost being that joins with the desire of heaven together and we become linked and partnered with, with heaven. And out of the life of the believer, under the power of the There's something that happens in the life of the believer when they receive the Holy Spirit that there is a cry that wells up on the inside and that connects us to the Lord. The three cries of the Holy Spirit. So we have this, and when Paul laid hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now I want to say that when we receive the Holy Spirit, there's a manifestation in our life that happens, what we see in the book of Acts, in a number of different ways, but somehow it connects to our mouth. And we see that, that when the Holy Spirit came on the believers, they spoke with other tongues, but we also see that they prophesied. And we also see that there's a, a kind of preaching that comes forth, 
so that their prayer life, their, their worship, the preaching, the different aspects, and we see it in different ways throughout the book of Acts, that it's not always the same, but that there is some release of the mouth when the indwelling spirit comes and takes residence on the inside of the life of the believer, that something comes out of their mouth in response to the work that God is doing. And so there are these three cries that we're going to talk about. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians 1, I'm going to just set the stage for Now, I have a great temptation with Ephesians, and that is to preach a lot of different messages because it's so jam-packed, full of line-by-line truth and revelation. And it's hard to get into Ephesians without wanting to just explore and to go into different areas. Often, if I'm reading it even devotionally, I find myself, I read one verse and then I'm just lost in contemplation and in thought. But for the sake of this, we're going to look at, at verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. So Paul is addressing now the church in Ephesus, and he's describing to them what happened when he first came to them. He's giving them a grid for, for what took place when he simply explained the difference between John's baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then there was a transfer. He placed his hands upon their heads, and they received the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. And he says, this is what happened. Verse 13, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And so here, In this verse, in these two verses, he talks about what took place when he laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. In him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, the grammar of Paul's day is very different from the grammar of our day. We would call him the king of run-on sentences. I mean, sometimes you read a whole page and it's one sentence with Paul in his letters. Comma, comma, hyphen, colon. And it just goes on and on. And you, like, you can't even take a breath by the end of the sentence. And there's so much that's packed in there. But in, but in this um, thing, I want to highlight two words to us out, uh, out of these two verses. The first one, he says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the word sealed... You're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee? The guarantee of our inheritance. 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So when you received the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit did something inside of you. First, the thing that happened is after you believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of, prof- pro- uh, of promise. I love this. Because there's a marking that takes place upon our lives when we receive the Holy Spirit that says, this one belongs to me. When you are sealed, you know, the thing about in the old days, I'm... I'm a bit, uh, I, you know, I love history and I, and, and I love in films when, when you see how a letter is gonna, of significance is going significance is going to be written and then it is sealed, closed, right? And then there's some wax that's taken and it's dripped over that seal and then that person takes his signet ring and he puts his mark he brands the letter, right? So that it's when it's given to the person and they know who it comes from. And this is the same idea. When the Holy Spirit comes in the life of, the, uh, of, of you and I, he, that he marks us with his seal. He brands us. He, he imprints himself upon our lives so that forever that we can know that we belong to the Lord, that we belong to the Father, that the Holy Spirit marks our life and sets it apart. I have a friend who is like obsessive about labeling things. I mean, literally, we joke about it because he has his own labeling machines. And it's like his socks, everything. You know, I mean, I have like uh, tools that are like one tool and it has a label on it. And I was, I was teasing him about it one time, and I said, what's up with the, you know, labeling everything? Even your socks are labeled. And he said, well, I have, I have two sons that are, wear the same size shoe as me, and I could never find my own socks. They always have my socks, and so I felt like I needed to label them. I'm like, okay, so what about the tools? You know, and he's like, well, I just wanted, I wanted to be able to identify which are my tools. I have different workers coming in in my business, and I wanted to always be able, and you know, and it's like, we joke about it because he's like obsessive about labeling things. But I want to say this, that the Holy Spirit, part of what, I daren't say obsessive, but, but part of what the Holy Spirit does is that he desires to mark your life, that you are the purchased possession of Yeshua. And that when you receive the Holy Spirit, he marks it so that for all to see that you are branded with the name of the Lord. That you are marked, that the signet ring of the Father is placed upon your life. It's melted into your, into your heart. You know, in the, in the, in the Western um, ranchers and all, that they, you would see that they would take that brand, Circle K, or whatever the name of the ranch would be, and then all their cattle, as they were out roaming out in, out in large open spaces, they would be branded with a certain mark that designated who they belonged to if there was any dispute. In huge open spaces of land where there's not fences to mark it, they, each cattle would be, would be marked with a brand. It would be put into the fire and then... And in some ways, that's what the Holy Spirit does to us, is that he seals us and that he marks us. Now, this is really important for us to understand when the enemy comes to lie in our ears. When the enemy comes to speak to our identity that we talked about yesterday, anything other than the true knowledge 
of what the Lord thinks and says about you. Is it no? I have received. I, you can say, I have believed in Yeshua. I have believed in Jesus. And not only that, I have received his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit has marked me. It has branded me. He has set me apart with his own mark. I am his purchased possession. I have been bought with a price. It's the blood of Yeshua. I have been bought. I have been redeemed. And sometimes you sit here and say, yeah, I hear that and it's spiritual language, but you need to hear it not in your ears, but you need to be able to hear it in your heart, in your spirit, so that there's something that rises up against the enemy when he comes to speak the opposite to you, when he comes to bring you down, when he comes to discourage you. No, I have the Holy Spirit of promise and he has marked my life. I am his purchased possession. I belong to him. I belong in his family. I am set apart to the Lord. Unshakable, unwavering understanding that we are marked by the Holy Spirit of promise. And then this is what it says next. From being sealed, it says that he is, or who is, in verse 14, the guarantee of, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. What it means by this is that the Holy Spirit is not only the marks our lives, but his presence inside of us is working to conform us and to transform us to be the fullness of what the Father's heart is for our lives. And when we have the Holy Spirit, there's a guarantee in our life of a good work that's begun that will be completed. And I know that I am not who I am going to be. I am not, and I'm not the same as I was before. But when, I, when you have the Holy Spirit, and he is that guarantee inside of you, there's a hope for fullness in your life. There's a desire that you will be the full possession of the Lord. That what he has purchased, what he has paid for with his blood shed upon the cross, and with the outpouring of his Holy Spirit upon our lives, it creates a tension in our life. And this is what I want to say, out of this tension between what I've been marked by and the guarantee, the deposit. So when I, when I was uh, in high school, I wanted to learn to play the guitar. And I first inherited from someone a classical guitar with nylon strings, which wasn't cool at all at the time, but it was very easy to learn to play on, softer on the fingers, the strings aren't quite as hard. And I began to play with that guitar. But I would go into music shops and I would look and I would see these uh, dreadnought style steel string with different kinds of wood grain options. And I would look at them and I'd like, man, I wanna have that one of those guitars. I wanna have, now I've been blessed over the years. I've actually been gifted a number of very high-end guitars over the years. This is amazing. But it didn't start like that. It started that when summer came, I got a job my, from my junior year of high school. I got a job working with a contractor to do construction work. And I put in as many hours as I could, and I kept it in, there was this town that had a music store about 45 minutes away from where we were living. 
in North Carolina at the time. And I would go to this music store and I would look and I would play and I'd practice. And there was this one Takamini guitar with a mahogany top at the, and it was a, had a reddish color to it and it had a built-in electronic pickup, all those things. Back then, it was exactly what I wanted. Cut away, the whole thing came with a hard shell case. And I would look at it, I'd go, hey, could, could I play that? Again, I would sit and I would play my little pieces that I liked, the ones you play in a, uh, when you go into a music store. Like people who work in music stores, it's like the worst thing ever because everyone all comes in and plays the exact same pieces like Stairway to Heaven or something like that classic, you know, pieces. And, and I went in, I would play. And then after I got my first paycheck from working that summer in construction, I went with my dad. I said, Dad, can you take me to that music store? We went there, and I said, I want to buy this guitar. And, they, and I said, I don't have all the money for it yet, but here's my first paycheck. I want to put this as a deposit, and I, would you hold this guitar for me? And by the end of the summer, I will be able to pay this off and, and, and to be able to take this guitar home. And they agreed at the shop, and they said, all right, we'll set it aside and you put your deposit down. No one else can buy that within this time, time limit. And it's held for you, but you can't take it home till you, till you pay it. And so, I mean, I was working the extra hours. And whenever I could, I would come. Even I didn't save up all the money to go and buy it. I, as soon as I got more money, I would take it in the shop. Make sure it was still there. Here's some more money to add, add towards it. I think it was like 800 dollars or something like that the guitar at the time and I and and I put some another couple hundred down on it and it was building up and by the, by the end of the summer I was able to go in and I had the full payment and I put it there and man I walked out of that store with that guitar in my hand I went home and oh I was so happy hours and hours I would play on that on that on that guitar and that guitar traveled with me and into different places as we went and go and came to Cyprus and it was the guitar I first played on here in Cyprus uh, as we started the worship ministry and different things like that but when I put that money down and they said no one else could buy it I knew in my heart that guitar was mine I didn't have the full joy of having it in, in my possession. I didn't have the full joy of taking it home, but man, I was excited and I wanted to work hard. I wanted to, I wanted to get until I had that full payment in place. And so it create, created inside me, that guarantee created a longing, a longing to have the full possession of it. It created a desire to have the full possession of it. And this is just in the smallest, tiniest way of what happens when the Holy Spirit not co- only comes and marks our life, that he seals us, but when he comes with a guarantee of the fullness that's to come until the redemption of his purchased possession. You see, it's exact same language, right? Until the redemption, until he redeems the full purchase possession in our lives. And so when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, there's a guarantee that it says, yes, this one belongs to me. It says, yes, that, 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 uh, that, that you have a full part. My deposit money 
was part of the full payment that was to come. I didn't take my deposit money back and then, and then give him a new check. It added to it when I had the full payment to give him. And so the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and he guarantees the work that's going to be completed when we have the fullness of God inside of us. Between where I am now, with the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, and the fullness that is promised to me, It creates longing and desire. I have a payment in my life. I have an installment. I have, and it's a part of the whole. But it's pulling me towards in hope and expectation and desire. The Spirit is literally pulling me towards the fullness of God's intention for my life until I say, I will not be satisfied until I have the fullness of God within me. Until I become fully who the Holy Spirit promises to work and to make me so that I can stand ultimately beside Yeshua as part of a great company that represents the bride and that we're beautiful and without spot and without blemish and that we are joined in fullness to Yeshua and that we become, there's this marriage of the, of the Lamb of God that's, that is our hope and our expectation. It's what we're living for. And so the Holy Spirit actually causes desire and longing and sometimes that looks like frustration. It's like hope of what's to come mixed with an acknowledgement that I'm not where I'm going to be yet. I'm not where I was. I'm marked. I'm sealed. I have an installment. I'm beginning to do the stuff. There's a new power in my life. But receiving the Holy Spirit and staying where we are is almost impossible It's life in the Spirit. It's walking in the Spirit. So when we receive Him, there's a moving towards fullness every day, every step of our journey. And the Holy Spirit creates longing and desire inside of the life of the believer. Our hope and the atmosphere that we are giving ourselves to in our times of worship, in our times of coming in the presence of God, in the times of discipleship, in the times of community life, is to breathe and to stoke the desire, the longing. And sometimes we can't contain that longing for the fullness that we know is our promised possession. That we will be in fullness. And we live between that and it creates tension in our life. Has anybody experienced this tension? If you're okay with where you're at, you need a stirring of the Holy Spirit inside of your life to say, there is so much more. The Spirit bears witness within us. The Spirit cries out within us for the fullness that's to come. So there they were, these disciples in Ephesus, and they were going about life with John's baptism of repentance. Turn from your sins. Turn back to the Lord. John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. It says he was the greatest and the last of the Old Testament prophets. And the role of the prophets was to bring the word of God and the heart of God together and call the people to turn again. Turn back. 
Turn back to the Lord. Turn back to his ways. Turn back to the word that he has spoken over your life. But when the Holy Spirit comes through Yeshua, sending to the Father, it's not only just a turning back from where we were into right standard, but it's an ongoing process of transformation where we become more and more like God. I want to provoke you this morning. I want to challenge you. Let the Holy Spirit stir you with dissatisfaction for where you're at in your life. To stir you to say, this is not enough. I am not enough. I know that in the fullness, I will see him for like he is, and I will be like him. In the fullness of the purchased possession of what the blood of Yeshua paid for in our lives is that we will draw near. We won't see him from afar, but we will see him as he is, and we shall be like him. That means a lot's got to change in my life between now and then. But I am oriented not to this way, to going back into the old ways, but my orientation is pressing in towards the fullness of God. Pressing in towards the purchased possession that he has for my life. Allow the Holy Spirit to shake you on the inside out of complacency and being okay with where you're at. Any time that we're not growing, that we're not moving, we're not fully alive. Allow him to come and create the questions in your heart. Am I in a right place with God? Am I moving? Am I moving towards greater fruitfulness in my life? Am I walking in faithfulness with what he's given me? Those are the definitions of success in the kingdom of God. Faithfulness and fruitfulness. Are we moving in that direction? Is, 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 am I pursuing the fullness that God has promised and what the blood of Yeshua paid for in my life? And out of this deposit of the Holy Spirit in the life of each believer, there's a longing that begins to be stirred that says, I'm not okay with where I am, but I know I am promised a greater fullness, and that's what I want to be moving towards. It doesn't matter if you have a long way to go. Or you have a a shorter way to go. We're all on a journey towards that fullness of God in our lives. And it creates longing, desire. Oh, I want to be with you where you are. I want to see you for who you are. I want to be like you. I want to live in the fullness of your desire for my life. I want to do the things that you do. I want to look like you. I want to talk like you. I want to be like you, Yeshua. That's the heart of a disciple. And the Holy Spirit is the one that activates our life in this process of transformation that we become more like Him. We are sealed, we're marked by God. Never the same again. You'll know when you had that encounter. You'll know when He's touched your life in that way where you say, I'll never be the same again. He's touched my life. He's burned my heart with his signet ring. He's marked my life. I am ruined for the ordinary life. We're not just talking about emotional experiences. We're talking about a divine transaction where the Spirit of God has touched our heart in such a way that we will not be the same again, that we live with a new vision and sight, and it's towards the fullness of what he desires for us. 
we live in the time of salvation history where longing for the Lord and for his fullness is welling up. It's the cry of the bride for the bridegroom. I want to be joined with you. I want to be joined with you. I want to be restored to you. And so this cry of the Spirit, this groaning that that Paul says, sometimes we don't even have language or words for, but there's a groaning in the Spirit that happens deep down within ourselves and the Holy Spirit begins to give utterance. He begins to voice. The Holy Spirit helps us to voice our desire and our longing for fullness in God. And out of that place, a cry rises up within our hearts. A sound rises up within our spirits that say, I'm not okay with where I am, but I know that I've been marked and that I've been sealed and that I'm moving towards a fullness that's to come and that's what I want and I long for it and I deeply desire it in my heart I deeply desire to be changed to be transformed into your likeness that when I go home from this place when I step off of this mountain I want to physically look different because of the internal work of the glory of God on the inside of my life That he's taken his words and he's written them upon my heart. That I have encountered his love in such a way that it causes insecurity to be pushed away. And the things that have defined me in the past, I say they do not belong to me, but I'm a new creation and I am being transformed and I'm going to look a lot more like him. Can I just tell you guys that we have watched Every single year, a process where physically people's faces look different by the end of this time. um, It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Because when we sit under the light of the sun, when we sit under the light of the shining of his truth, of his affections, of his pleasure concerning us, when it comes and it touches our life, there's a response from his countenance to ours. There's something, a transaction from the face of God to ours where our, our face begins to catch the look in his eye concerning us. And literally, the heaviness, the oppression begins to lift off. And things that are, are things that are on the inside that we don't think that we show on the outside of our life, it begins to work from the inside to the out. And we go from glory to glory. We know that in fullness that we're going to have glorified bodies that will know no limitations. And sometimes the Lord allows us to taste today of what is reserved for the future out of his goodness. And we see those kinds of miracles and acceleration like being translated by the Spirit of God from one place to another. Where time and geography all of a sudden don't become as important, and he moves us into another into another realm. These are the stories where physical limitations have have the people ahead of their time. What will be normal in the fullness of God for all of mankind? We be step into those that we see the uh, um, miracles and the transformations, the illuminations, shining of our face, light that comes into the room. I, we, I remember years ago um, in one of the dorm rooms, we had been talking about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And there was two bunks in this dorm room, and the guys had gone up that night, and they were, had already turned out the lights, and they were in their bunk beds, four guys in the room, and one of them had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the other three didn't come from a background that they even knew, so they were hearing all these new things, new concepts, maybe like some of you. And, and as they were talking about it, they said, you know, the guy who had experienced it, he said, you know, we could just pray and invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, and he could come and move and the midst of us as they were in that dorm room with the lights off it dark in the room they began to pray in their bunks and they felt the presence of God come into the room in such a way that they they jumped out of bed and they began to pray and then as as they sensed God's presence they began to shout and to cry out and some of them were weeping and some of them were laughing and they realized that there was a wind that was blowing through the room and literally papers and plastic bags that were in there were getting lifted off the ground. There were not a door open, not a window open, but this wind of the Holy Spirit came and filled the room. After a while, as they're praising and they're shouting, they're going after God, they realized that no one had switched the light on, but the whole room was filled with light. Sometimes the Lord gives us a glimpse of the fullness that's promised to us as our desire connects and our heart orientation is towards that. There is so much more. There is so much more of the reality that we will live in. And if we orientate with our hearts towards that, we're pressing into fullness every day. We're saying, Lord, I want to be closer to you. I don't want the limitations of my flesh and of my desires. But I'm a new creation. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I want to live and look like you. And I want to see God move in those ways. And there's a holy hunger that comes up in our hearts. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. I need him. I want him. Guys, my own testimony, growing up in a believing family, I can't remember a time when I didn't know Yeshua. I don't have the kind of testimony that says that I was far from God and then he revealed himself to me. I've only ever known Yeshua. From the youngest age that I can remember, at age five, five, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, received my heavenly prayer language with my sister Rebecca at the same time. But before that, when I was two years old, my parents were in Bible college in the midst of a student outpouring at that Bible college where the Lord would wake them up in the night from different parts of the campus and they would find themselves gathered together. They would go to one area, the kitchens or, the, or another place on campus and they'd meet and they would just worship the Lord and they would just pray and be in the presence of God. And out of that, they, there was a guy at that time who didn't know how to play the piano and he would sit down and under the unction of the Holy Spirit, he would lead them in worship playing the piano. When it would lift, he had no ability at all. But it was just a time of revival. It was a time of the Holy Spirit moving in in extraordinary ways. And the Lord filled them with boldness. And they would go into cities and they would preach on the streets. And they saw miracles and salvations happen in that context during that time at two years old. 
I was in the laundry room with my mom as she was doing laundry, and as an ex- exploring, explorative two-year-old, I climbed up onto a table from a chair and thought I was going to try to jump back onto the chair, missed the chair, and landed on the concrete floor on my head, and split my head open here up to the, up to the middle of this eye, here, blood everywhere, big wound, the whole deal. Someone ran to get my dad out of class, and it was 40 minutes to the hospital. And in, that, in, that, in the back of the car that was being driven was the, was the Bible college nurse and my, my mom. Uh, it, it, the nurse was driving the car and my mom was in the front. My dad was holding me in the back seat in his arms. And my breathing stopped and my pulse stopped and my muscle tone stopped in that moment. And I died in his arms in that 40-minute drive to the hospital. And all he could do was hold on in faith in that moment. And he began to sing an old chorus that they had sung in those days. I am he that lives, liveth and was dead, but behold, I have new life forevermore. And it was from scripture. And he just sang it over and over and took me into the, into the emergency room, the casualty, and laid me on one, one of the beds there. Again, now after maybe half an hour or so of not having any life in my body. They got on the floor and they began to cry out to God. And they said, Lord, don't, we don't want to lose our son. Would you raise him up? Lord, give us our son back. Give us our son back. And they were crying out desperately before the Lord, weeping. And the doctor walks in and he says, what's the matter with you, stupid? And my dad didn't grow up in a believing family. Grew up in a mafia family. Let's just... Let's just say. And some of the old ways came to mind very quickly. And he got up off the floor and he thinks, my son's dead. And this doctor is speaking like this. I'm going to knock him out. From praying very fervently (laughs) for his son's resurrection. And he gets up and he looks over at the table. And I am sitting up with a huge smile on my face. Still the wound is there. The blood is everywhere with a huge smile on my face. And since then, I haven't been exactly right in the head. <laughs> I would like to tell you that I saw a light at the end of the tunnel, and then Yeshua was coming in white robes saying, Matthew, come to me. I was like, no, I have a work to do on earth. I don't remember anything about it. I was two years old. But this I do know, that from the youngest age, There's been a desire in my heart to serve the Lord. There's been a desire to be used by him to make a difference. And I'm holding on. I grew up and I saw a number of times people raised from the dead. A a number of specific times the Lord used my parents to see people raised from the dead. Including one of my own friends. It's another, we'll get distracted on stories. But... In my heart, Lord, you saved me for a purpose. You raised me up for a purpose. Will I have the opportunity to see the dead raised? It's a part of the fullness of God. It's not just seeing the sick healed. But there's more that God has for us. But from where I am, I'm not satisfied. I've seen a lot of miracles. I've seen God do mighty things. I've seen a lot of influence beyond what that shy kid growing up who didn't want to answer the phone would ever do. I've seen a huge transformation, but there's more. 
And that's the Holy Spirit inside of me bearing witness to the fullness that's to come and it creates desire. I want to rattle your cage this morning. I want to shake you to say, don't be satisfied with where you're at. That there's more. That there's more. That there's a greater fullness. Spiritual complacency is the thing that will take you out in life. But holy desire, holy desire, the the Spirit of God gives witness to is what leads us towards fullness in our journey together with God. And so there's a tension that comes and there's, there is a, there is a unsettling that comes and this desire begins to long, to well up inside of life. And from our innermost being, there are groans, there are cries, there are prayers of the Holy Spirit inside of us that want that fullness and want to be able to relate to God. And it's out of this longing desire that these three cries begin to rise up inside of our lives from the Holy Spirit inside of us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty one and twenty two says something similar about being sealed in the guarantee. Now he who establishes us with you in Messiah and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Let's look at another one. Uh, uh, Sorry, 2 Corinthians 1. 21 and 22. 2 Corinthians 5. Let's look from verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made by hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan. Say groan. In this we groan. In this we cry out. In this, we earnestly desire. In this, there is a sound that comes out of our lives of longing. For in this, we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And so it's the Spirit inside of us that given as a guarantee that causes the groaning. It causes the desire So our spiritual dissatisfaction actually comes from the Holy Spirit. Our divine dissatisfaction for where we're at comes from the living Spirit of God inside of us. It's not okay to be okay with where we're at when we have the Holy Spirit. But it's not without a hope because we're sealed. 
It's not without a hope because he has promised, he's the Holy Spirit of promise, for the full redemption of his purchased possession in our life. Romans chapter 8 and verse 23. Again, speaks to the same idea. Let's, actually, let's start from verse 18. For Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. This is our hope. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits. Eagerly waits. Eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits... The first fruits is another way of saying the guarantee. The first installment. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So the Holy Spirit works within us to make us not satisfied with where we're at, but to give us a hope and an expectation towards the fullness that he has promised to us. And there's a groaning. There's a crying out. There's an earnestly desiring. There's an eagerly waiting. These are all language that Paul's using. He's saying creation itself is groaning. It's in birth pangs for the very revealing of the sons of God. He's saying the Spirit is doing the same thing in your earth, in your earthen vessels, that the Spirit of God is doing the same thing that creation is longing for us to be revealed. The Spirit is working on the inside for a shaking on the inside that we're not satisfied with where we're at, but we're moving towards the fullness that's to come. We see this in Ephesians. We've looked at it in two passages in Corinthians. We see it in Romans 8. The Holy Spirit creates longing inside of his people. It creates desire for the Lord. Thank you, Father. Out of this longing, out of this groaning, out of this desire... Three cries that I want to talk to you about rise up from our very own life. The first cry of the Holy Spirit that we'll look at is the cry, Abba, Father. The cry, Abba, Father, for our own adoption, our own revealing as sons and daughters of God, our own coming into our inheritance in the family of God, our own being joined back to the back to the Father in heaven, what was separated. The spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The second one that we'll talk about is Yeshua is Lord. 
Second cry of the Holy Spirit is Yeshua's Lord. We'll look at scriptural passages and examples of this. And then we're going to ask that the Holy Spirit stirs us today to begin to, to activate the longing and the desire for the fullness that he has for our, our lives. The third cry of the Holy Spirit is, Come, Lord Jesus. It's for that fullness, for that wedding day. It's for the establishment of his kingdom and us ruling and reigning together with him in the fullness that he has promised to us as kings and priests, as his bride and all the other uh, analogies that are given in the scriptures to when we are united together with him. Abba, Father, Jesus is Lord, and come, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Lord, I just want to pray before we get in to each of these cries, Father, that you would have your way in this room. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would stir up longing and desire for all the promises of God in our life. Everything that you say yes and amen to, everything that you have promised, everything that's our inheritance, everything that's our portion, Lord, I ask, Lord God, for the gift of spiritual hunger. Father, I ask for an earthquake in our hearts. Lord, I ask for a shaking. I ask for holy tremors on the inside. Father, I ask, Lord, that the the stirring of the waters of our spirit, Lord, I ask, Father God, that you would open our eyes, Lord God, that we would not just hear words, Lord God, but we as we read the scriptures, Lord God, that it would become life and bread to us, Father God. I ask for the gift of spiritual hunger, Lord God, in this place today. And Father, let us join together according to your word and according to your pattern, Lord God, and according to your desire for us that the cries of the Spirit will be released from our lives and would literally propel us forward from strength to strength, from glory to glory, from where we're at towards the fullness that you have promised in our life. And we pray that you would show us amazing and beautiful things along the way, that you would give us tastes of the fullness to come, that you would give us experiences, Lord God, of what it's going to be like in fullness, Lord, and that we would be constantly moving towards fullness. That we'd find, we would say and our testimony would be, I am fully alive in you. And you are fully alive in me. Thank you, Abba Father. Thank you, Lord. Let's go ahead and take a break. Just take a seven-minute break if you need to use the restroom or stretch or get some fresh air. Just be considering this. What does it mean to have spiritual hunger and what is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life? Thank you, Lord. So let's let's, uh, look at this first cry of the Holy Spirit inside of our life and turn to Galatians chapter 4 and we'll read... Verses 1 through 7. Who would like to stand up and to read Galatians 4, 1 through 7? Galatians 4, 1 through 7. 
Galatians. <laughs> yes. That the heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he's master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then a heir of God through Christ. Amen. Amen. Verse 6, and because you are sons, and uh, that word in Greek, atropoi, can actually refer to both sons and daughters. It means as uh, children, children. So don't get caught up on that, right? And I just want to say that to the ladies, when there's a lot of language about sons, we also have to embrace the language of being the bride of Messiah as well. So d- don't feel bad <laughs> about it, <laughs> all right? We're, we're all, it's all imagery that's pointing us to our, the reality of us as being heirs of the Father, as being children of God. And so verse 6 says, And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Crying out, Abba, Father. So it's the Spirit who cries in our hearts, Abba, Father. Now many of us, whether you have the best parental experience in the world or you have the most broken parental experience, we all need the witness of the Holy Spirit in our life by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Because it's only a shadow of the reality that it, who is our Father in heaven. In the relationships that we have in the family unit all pale in comparison to the reality of the unending, never-stopping, unbreakable, always and forever love of the Father for us. Father God, Abba, Father. Let's look at Romans 8. It says something very similar to this. And we'll jump off from there. Let's go from verse 14. It's the Spirit, right? Who cries within our hearts or gives us utterance to cry out before the Lord. Verse 14 of Romans 8. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. 
Again, it's the Spirit who makes us to cry out. It's the Spirit who brings awareness of our relationship and the need to be restored to Abba Father. In verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We need to hear this. We need this reality of the witness of the Holy Spirit, whom we have received into our life, bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Messiah. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. And then it goes on to the passage we already read here about the groanings and the cries of the Holy Spirit. So we see here that the Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit that he is our father, that he is a good God. The reality of this came so clear in my wife and I's life when we went through the process of adoption. We began to consider, and we had a lot of challenges. We've worked in Ethiopia for many years, and I've, I've, we used to have a, a full-time base there, and I've been, I stopped counting after 25 trips to Ethiopia. And so we spent a lot and invested a lot in the country. And, and we love the nation. The Lord has knit our hearts. There's a deep love in our hearts for Ethiopia. And when we talked about the growing our family through adoption and through this process, it was the first thing that was in our hearts, Lord, we would love to bring children into our family from Ethiopia because of the affection and love and commitment we have to that people and nation. And it was a hard and difficult process for us. One, in the natural, to raise the kind of funds that it would take to make all the trips and to do the paperwork and the legalities and all those things seemed insurmountable. But we're people of faith and believing that the Lord would make a way and we take the steps towards him and that he would meet us, and he did. But then there was the legalities. We live in Cyprus. We're having an American adoption and we were working with the Ethiopian system there. So we're kind of Near East, United States, and East Africa with all the government systems, legalities, and all of those things connected. And literally, we went to social workers, we went to adoption agencies, and they said, we're not sure how you can do this. They said, it's challenging. And but step by step, that we just kept pursuing. And it was over three and a half years it took to get everything in place and to pursue documents and to see it. But there came a day when we met Levi and Noah, when, when we connected with them there in Ethiopia, we were able to bring them home to us. And we flew from Addis Ababa to Israel, where my parents were living in Jerusalem. And uh, we spent some time there so we get visas from Israel then to come into Cyprus with them. And... Growing up with this understanding of the heart of God and the Father's heart for us, we, you know, we, we couldn't wait to be able to bring them into our family and let them be a part of our lives together. And, and in it, we realized this whole idea of the spirit of adoption was something that wasn't just manifest in like families adopting children who didn't have parents, but it was Every single one of us as believers comes through this process of adoption where we've been cut off through sin 
to access to the Father and to the full benefits as heirs in the Father's house. And we began to think about these themes and it was like we were getting saved again in, in some ways, okay, not theologically, but we were going through a process where it was deeply meaningful for us as we think about what does it mean to give our name and what our name represents to these children, What does it mean to pass on a legacy from my parents and from my wife's parents and to pass that on to them and when we give them that name? What does it it mean that they are brought in from a place of devastation in their life and incredible loss and yet they can come into a place of acceptance where in their home that they know that they fully belong and that what's ours is fully theirs? As we begin to think about those themes, God began to touch our hearts and make this scripture passage so real inside of us that the spirit of adoption is a one-time event. It's not, it doesn't define our identity. We were once far away, and then through Yeshua, we belong. We become a part of the Father's house. We become a part of who He is. And so we never refer to our children as adopted. That happened years ago. And it was a legal process, but now they're fully sons and daughters. In the same way with us, in our faith, in our walk with God, when we receive Yeshua, we, we, we come fully a part of His house. It says that we're, the Spirit bears witness to us that we are sons and daughters, that we are children of God, but we're not only children, that we're heirs, that we have inheritance, that we, that we not only belong and we have access to everything that's in our family, but that we have an inheritance that we will carry forward the legacy in our lives. Now, one of the expressions growing up on Erev Shabbat in our family home, you know, it would come to a time of prayers and there would be the blessing of sons and daughters. And growing up with that, that was always something during the week that I looked forward to. I looked forward to that moment when my dad would put his hand, his big hand on my head and say, and he would always say our full name like Matthew Taylor Rudolph. And he would speak out our full name. And still when he blesses all his grandchildren and great-grandchildren and all, he says like their full names, like just over their whole identity. I love it. And, uh, and when he put my hand out, I mean, I would feel so good. I loved it. I would love, you know, if you have a puppy dog that wants to be pet, you know, they come and they come and they, nuzzle, they stick their head up under your hand. They're trying to get your attention. That's what Friday night was like. And my dad would place his hands on each of his sons and each of his daughters, and he would speak. And often he would say the traditional prayer, but the Lord make you a symbol of blessing like he did Ephraim and Manasseh. And that's for another teaching on another day, what that means. But then, but then uh, he would often speak destiny. He would prophesy over life. He said that you will be my son. This is who you will be as you go. This is who you are. This is what you will become. And you speak those things over life. And I can remember, and then it would be the blessing over the wife. And I can remember as a kid for years it being our pattern every Friday night thinking, one day I'm going to get to bless a woman. Not just any woman, my woman. I'm going to be able to bless my wife and honor her and, and speak of her highly in front of my family, in front of others, and prop her up and, and extol who she is in my life. I can't wait for that moment. But I think, and I'll also be able to bless my son and daughter, my children, 
and put my hands and what I've received from them. You see, even to this day, I'm 42 years old, have my own family, running with the things of God. To this day, when my parents say, Matt, I'm really proud of you. When my parents say, hey, you're doing such a great job, or they affirm or they speak blessing, in that moment, I feel like I can do anything. In that moment, I feel like there's no limitation. I don't hear the insecurity. The the enemy would try to whisper. I just think, man, I'm going to live fully. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something great. Thank you, Lord. A father blesses his children not because of what they do, because they belong to him. But as a son, when I receive that blessing, I want to do something. We see that pattern, right, with Yeshua. When, before he does one recorded miracle in the Gospels, before he goes to that wedding in Cana and turns water into wine, before he heals a deaf child, before he preaches to the multitudes, before the longing of generations for the revealing of the Messiah, and before he does anything, when he comes out to the baptism that John is doing, and he comes there, and John says, Behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the earth, and declares who he is. He comes to be baptized and to fulfill all righteousness, And when he comes up out of the water, it says that the voice of the Lord boomed from heaven. The heavens opened up. The Holy Spirit came down as a dove upon him. And the voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He hadn't done anything. Not the miracles. Not the multitudes. He was just faithful in his father's house up until that point. But the shout of heaven was before, before he went to the cross, before he changed the tide of history. It wasn't for what he would do. It's that he belonged to him. And as he was being revealed in that moment, the affirmation of the father in heaven shouted out so that all that were gathered could hear the voice of the father saying, I love him. I'm pleased with him. He's mine. He belongs to me as a proud father. The Holy Spirit in Romans 8 and Galatians 4 bears witness to our spirits by which we cry out, Abba, Father. It's not about what you can do. We're going to have intensity in our pursuit of God in these next months. We're going to go after it. We're going to sing We're going to dance. We're going to shout. We're going to fast. We're going to do all of the things. But that's not what earns the affection of the Father's heart for you. It's because you belong to Him. It's because you are His children. 
We need to hear it, and we need to hear it again and again and again and again till we really begin to believe it, till we begin to see it, till we begin to feel it. On the It informs our emotions. It informs our perspective. It changes our mentality that the Father's voice over your life, not based on what you do, but who you are, is I love you, and I'm so pleased with you. The first thing that God did in creation when he said, let us make man in our own image and likeness, and then he formed man, the very first words that were spoken to Adam, who knows what the first words were? Hmm? (laughs) What's the very first thing that God did in regards to Adam. Saw that was good. He saw that, yeah. He said that it was very good. Uh huh. Okay, let's look at it. <laughs> you both are right, but but this. What's the, what is the, maybe if I say it this way, it will come quicker to you. What's the mandate that God gives to Adam in the garden? The first commandment that he gives to him. Be fruitful, multiply. What happens right before that? See if you can find it in Genesis 1. He blessed them. The very first thing that God does to Adam before he tells him what he wants him to do and what he's going to fulfill, it says in verse 28, or let's go to 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed him and God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every other living thing that moves on the earth. First, God blesses him. So he gives a mandate, but before he even tells him what he's going to do, in verse 28, he blesses him. This is the Father's heart. He's so pleased with his creation. He's so pleased. He says that we're making, he's in our image, in our likeness. He's set apart. He's very good from, uh, distinguished from all of else of creation, but his heart as a father is to bless. His heart as a father, before he asks him to do anything, He blesses them. I was reading this one day and it stuck out in my mind and I was like, you know when the Holy Spirit takes you on a little adventure through scripture where you just begin to connect dots and it's exhilarating. I love it when that happens when you read one passage and then he just puts that thought and wait, isn't that, he blessed them and then he said, and I was like, that sounds familiar. Genesis, well, he says in Genesis 1, And then in Genesis 10, or 9, after Noah and his family are gathered into the ark and God makes a covenant with creation, Genesis 9, 1, it says, So 
God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Before God's mandate for our lives, before our calling on our lives, before we do anything and he's called us to do anything, he blesses us. He imparts of his, the divine nature into our lives. The Hebraic understanding of blessing is one that it's the impartation of the divine. It's from God to man. It comes down from God to man. And so God bless Adam and God blesses Noah when he starts again there. And then we go over a few chapters. And then he blesses Abram. And I began to flip through the pages of Genesis and I saw the exact same pattern. God blessed Abram. And then he said, I'm not only going to bless you, but I'm going to make your family to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And so it's God to Adam. It's God as father to Noah. It's God as father to Abram. It's God, the father, he ratifies again to Abraham again when he makes covenant with them. And it says he blessed them and he said to him to be fruitful. And then it goes to Isaac and it goes to Jacob and it's the same language. And when it gets to Jacob, something shifts. The pattern that's established in Genesis from God the father to man, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then all of a sudden, Jacob, in the pattern that's been established in the generations, puts his hands and he blesses his sons. And he speaks out a blessing and then he prophesies over them about their destiny. And so what the pattern is established from Father God to man then takes on a form in the families of the earth as fathers bless their sons. And so it was with Israel that it's passed down from generation to generation. That this blessing, and then he's formed Israel from Joseph, from Joseph and Jacob's descendants in the land of Egypt. And he brought them out of Egypt by a mighty hand. And he formed them into a nation under the Mount Sinai together. Then he spoke and he said, amongst the nation, there's going to be a priestly people, Aaron and his sons. And he, you are to bless the people like this. So God to man, fathers to sons, fathers to children. And now it's from priests to the nation, and he says, and your job is to place my name upon them, to give them a name. Isn't that the spirit of adoption, is that we give the name, we have access, we become part of the family? And so he says, the priests are to remind the nation that you belong to your Father in heaven. And there's this prayer that says, the Lord bless you and keep you, and the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. Guys, we have to see this in fatherly language. In fatherly description, from God the Father to Adam and to each of those ones. And now the priests move into a representative role of Father in heaven. And so, traditionally, if they would make the sign of Sheen in the synagogue, which stands for Shaddai, the Almighty One. And they would, they would hold up the, in the form of blessing, and the idea was it was bigger than the priests, but the literal face of God, the shining of God, would shine down. It would mark the people symbolically like this as they hold their hands up in blessing the lifting of hands in blessing and they would put the name of God in fact God says to Moses tell Aaron to put my name upon the people of Israel when a father blesses his son he's calling them into inheritance he's calling them into the family name to fulfill the family destiny
And this is what's so powerful that we're being restored to when the Spirit gives witness in our hearts and we cry out, Abba, Father, is that there's a fullness that we can never have. Before that, we're orphaned and we're cut off from our legacy. We're cut off from our inheritance. We're cut off from the fullness of our identity. But when we come under the blessing of the Father again, things begin to come alive inside of us and say, not only do I understand that I'm blessed, Without doing anything, I understand that I belong. And not only am I blessed and I belong, but I've been called to fulfill a destiny and to live a legacy that is a continuation of things that have gone before me, but will continue after me. And so the priests bless the people. I mean, I love, I love the language of it with this lifting of the hands, right? Right? In fact, the, the ironic benediction can be, has been called the lifting of hands, the prayer for the lifting of hands. And in this place, it's the Lord bless you. Would you just look at me with your eyeballs? And I want to speak this over you today, this morning. As a priest, as a representative, as a father, on behalf of our perfect father in heaven, the Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. Not for what you do, not for how well you can serve him, not how you can perform, not how smart you are, not how much you know the Bible, but simply because he calls you his own. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you, Ellie. The Lord bless you. Hear it in your spirit. Receive it by the spirit. Let the Holy Spirit inside of you give witness that you are the children of God. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. Elizabeth, the Lord bless you. 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 The Father blesses you. The Lord blesses you today. It's the impartation of his divine nature into your life as sons and daughters. And nothing of performance gets that blessing. Only because you belong. Write it down. Write it on your hand. Say it to yourself. Look in the mirror in the morning and say, I belong to the Father's house and he blesses me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord caused his face to shine upon you. There's three, theologically, there's three expressions of the nature of God the Father that he is love that he is light, and that he is life. As a father, when he blesses us, it's love. When he says, his face shine upon you, it's his nature that God is light. And the nature of light is that it radiates outward. 
And there's a radiating out of the face of God into your life. The light of God comes and light speaks of truth and it banishes all darkness. It chases away all darkness. It chases away anything that's not truth. And so he lifts up, he shines his face upon you. He releases his light into your life and it sends darkness running. It breaks the shackles of darkness off of your life and it speaks to your innermost being and he fills you as sons and daughters with his light. The Lord causes face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Wait, how can Shaddai, how can El Shaddai, how can the almighty God look up to us? It seems out of order. It seems out of place. The almighty creator of heaven and earth, and yet he sees us as sons and daughters, and that he says, the Lord lift up his countenance. Wow. I don't know. I do know this as a dad. When I'm here at the base, and I go home and I see my kids, Because the love in my heart, the first thing that happens in my face when I see them is it lifts. (laughs) The corners of my mouth go up. My eyes brighten. Usually they want to jump on my back first thing. Yesterday, the truth, my daughter was waiting on a stool. And and when I walked into the kitchen, hey guys, how's it going? How was school today? Boom, jumps on my back, arms around my neck. Abba, Abba's home. And my face lifts up. My face brightens. The expression of the Father's face is not you bring a smile to the face of the Father. His countenance is lifted. There's joy on his face. There's lightness in his eyes. He turns up. Guys, we've got to get out of this religious mentality. Somehow we've learned it in church and we've learned it in our congregations that to be holy means to be stern-faced. Huh? (laughs) Holiness, the mark of true holiness... If it means to be separated from the world and to God, holiness means that we can approach him, that we draw near to him. What does it mean? In his presence is fullness of joy and life in the fullness. So holiness, the mark of holiness in the life of the believer is not spiritual intensity that looks like constipation. Did I do that too well? I can say I've never been constipated a day in my life. But anyway, (laughs) testimony. But it is joy. The mark of holiness is joy. (laughs) I don't know if you're smiling because of the joy or the constipation. But it was placed there intentionally to get you to lighten up a little bit. The look on his face 
as a father is delight. That's his first thought. And it's his first expression. But there's another thing about it. Another way. How can he lift up his face to us? As dads, we have a different nature than mothers. When it comes to our kids. Mothers want to protect, to create security, safety, nurture, draw you close, hold you tight. You know, all the time when my son and daughter are in an exportive area, a, a time of life, so they got scooters for Christmas. And yesterday I was in the kitchen with my wife, and my son is coming down the mountain road on his scooter, and we just saw him like this. <laughs> He didn't have his helmet on. He didn't cast nose a road by our house. You can't see the bend where the car's coming. He didn't have his gloves or anything on. And I was like, cool. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. I, look how fast he went. I was proud of him, right? And my wife was like, oh, you tell him to come inside right now and he will not get to ride on that scooter again unless he has his helmet on and his gloves. And, and did he, well, there might have been a car. I said, okay, look, let's make a deal. Noah can stand at the bench. He can see if any cars are coming and she can say the coast is clear. He'll wear his helmet and his gloves, but let him have fun. He needs to feel that speed. Us boys, we want speed. And so we, I mean... You know, it's just different. We have a different perspective. One's nurturing, and the other one, as dads, when we get babies and little kids and we pick them up, we just want to throw them. I mean, you watch any dad and how they relate to their kids. Moms, it's like, oh, or if they're tall enough, oh, come here, you know, hold them close, nurture them, draw them to the self. And we get our kids and we're like, I wonder how high I can get them. I, my nephew had to have inner healing because I threw him into a chandelier one time when he was like two and a half years old. And he could barely talk, but he would come in and he'd be like, Uncle Matt. Uncle Matt. Every time in that room and he would point to the light fixture. <laughs> Thank God he was okay and he's a tough kid now. But I mean, I love it. I have a picture. I got to show you this picture if I can find it quickly. As dads, we want to hold our kids up. We pick them up, we spin them around, we throw them up in the air. The Lord lift up his countenance to you. He picks you up as his son and daughter, and he's so delighted in you that he's just like, oh, I just want to look at you. I want to look at you in your face. We're down here. We don't barely have the strength. We shouldn't be above in relating to Father God, and yet maybe it means this image that he's put in all of us. Oh, boy. Let's see, Firenze, Roma, Ireland. It's before the. It's probably on Sarah's Facebook or Instagram. Oh, I think I'm going to have to... I forgot how many pictures I had on this phone. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Cass, can you look on Suraz? Okay. Okay, we'll come back to it. 
The Lord lift up his countenance. He wants to pick you up and hold you and look at you, maybe throw you up a little bit and catch you in his strong arms. He won't throw us into a chandelier. Us being good fathers don't desire to do these things, but it happens at times. But anyway, he said to the priest, put my blessing, bless the people in this way. So it goes from God to man, from fathers to children, from priests to the nation. And it goes on in this pattern of blessing of the Father's heart is imparted from generation to generation to generation. But somehow we have lost the power of blessing. It's the tangible, hands-on impartation of the heart of the Father into our lives. And so having this pattern of blessing and of laying on of hands, there's something that our hearts crave because it was initiated originally by God. In the beginning, we said, let us make man in our image and likeness. And with his hands, he formed our very physical frame. And then he breathed his breath in. And then he said, blessed. You are blessed. And it goes on from there. And we see this at the end of the Gospels. Cassidy. Anyway, I have this great picture that Sarah took when we were at the beach one time. And we like to go to the beach in the summer and the winter. And it, yes. Oh. Here, let me see. Oh, it's so great. No, I don't want anyone to hold your phone. Because do you have that thing? Oh, I like those. That's Noah, my daughter, and Sarah caught me throwing her one time on a picture. That's a father's heart. <laughs> the Lord lift up. Look, if you zoom in, other than looking like a retard, <laughs> me, look how excited I am. Now look at her. Look at her face. Her hands, her fingers are stretched out. She's just exhilarated. We're looking at each other in the eyes there. <laughs> Thanks, Jessica. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Hold you. Oh! Sometimes I just grab their face and I look at them and I just go, oh! Now we have a Lebanese friend. It's really a big guy. And he got saved. He grew up in a refugee camp in South Lebanon. Was part of a very active uh, organization that doesn't love our people. And, um, but when he came to faith, miraculously, the Lord gave him a love for Jewish people. And it's a miracle story. He was at a conference up on, in a house here, the uh, ministry to the persecuted church has, and he was walking along 
the road during one of the breaks. And the Lord said, go in that house. Go knock on the door. There's believers there. And he went and he knocked on the door. And my brother and another guy, a family that moved from our community to Israel, Chaim Singerman, they answered the door and they were praying for the GTS. And this guy looked at them and he said, are you believers? And asked them if he, and they said, yes. And then he saw a menorah on the mantle and he saw some other Judaica kind of stuff. And he said, you Jews? And this guy is really big. And they're like, yes, we are. And he fell on them and just hugged them. And then they brought him down to the base and some of the Lord just led in a time very spontaneously ended up that some of the students that were Israeli that were here felt led to wash his feet. And he wept and he wept and he wept years of pain away. And it sealed something in his heart. Everywhere he goes, he looks for Jewish people to love and to tell them about Yeshua, about their Messiah. And uh, he's, so he's this really big guy. And my niece was in the room one day and you know when kids are just so cute, you sometimes you say, "Oh, I could just eat you, right?" Well, he filled the door frame. He walked in and he saw my niece who was about two, and he goes, "I want to eat you." <laughs> and she went, "Ah!" <laughs> and ran out of the room <laughs> like that. But you get the point, right? He holds us. He wants to scrunch our face. I love you so much. Oh. I could eat you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Now Luke chapter 24, look there with me. I wasn't planning to go in this direction, but anyway, the Lord knows. Luke 24. Here Yeshua has already been risen from the dead on, after the third day. He's been on the road to Emmaus with his disciples. Their hearts burn as he reveals himself and he reveals how he fulfilled the law and the prophets. Their eyes are opened. He appears to other disciples. And then he comes to the end of this 40-day period and he's going to go to the Father. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 50, he says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands... And bless them. The very first thing that God the Father did to mankind when they became a living being was to bless them. Then here, through the pattern from God to man, from fathers to children, from the priest to the nation, that says, when you put my name upon them, lift up your hands over them and bless them. Put my name upon them. Now Yeshua is about to return to the Father. And we know he gave the great commission, go into all nations and preach the gospel, making disciples. We know that, that those are the last words and mandate he gave, which is equivalent and parallel to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion in the earth from Genesis 1, right? So here we have now in the bookend, Yeshua is going back to heaven, but he doesn't just leave them with a mandate, he doesn't leave them with instructions or a commandment. He leaves them with a blessing. It starts with a blessing. When God gave it to Adam and it said, be fruitful. Then he says, it gives him the great commission. And now he's returning up to heaven. And read it with me together. Verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands. The lifting of hands. The priestly blessing. And he blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. 
I mean, this is vivid. See it with me together here. While he's speaking, as our great and high priest, as it says in Hebrews, Yeshua, the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice, he lifts up his hands to bless the disciples. He's given them the commission, but now he says, it's the, the pull upon the, his Father in heaven is such that gravity is, is loosening its hold upon Yeshua. What is the kind of force that it takes to break not only the gravitational pull, but to break out of this atmosphere and to go out into space? The power of the Father, His Father's love, there is pulling upon Him. It's your time to return to me, to come to me. And He's in this act. He has His hands lifted up and He's blessing them. And I just imagine He's there and He speaks to Him and He says, The Lord bless you. And they know exactly in their eye. Oh, they're like, Oh man, I got to get this blessing from the Messiah. I have to receive this blessing from Him. And then. It's like a rocket taking off. They can't, the gravity can't hold him down. The earth can't hold him down. The grave wasn't able to hold him down. And now he begins to ascend. And he's there. And all of a sudden, he's getting up. And he's, he's rising. He says, as he's rising to heaven, he's blessing them. And he's 10 meters off the ground. And the Lord keep you. And he, they see him with his hands outstretched. It says, as he's blessing him, it's going up. And then he gets a little bit higher. And he's higher up in the air. And, he's, and the Lord make his face to shine upon you. I wish I had a ladder right now. And the Lord causes his face to shine upon you. And they see him. And it's the last act is blessing. And they see his hands outstretched over them. And as it was in the beginning, so it was when Yeshua is rising up to heaven. And he's pouring out the Father's blessing. And at the same time, the Father is drawing him to himself up in heaven. And he's pulling him to himself. And it's like that power of a rocket ship to launch out. And he's going up. And it's a demonstration of the power of God that the natural elements do not have a hold on him and he's leaving him with this blessing and it causes face to shine upon you to be merciful to you and to give you his shalom and he's gone wouldn't that scene mark your life forever and then he says it's good that I go away for I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit of promise. And he will teach you all things. And Paul identifies what is it that happens when you receive the helper. When you receive the Holy Spirit of promise. That he bears witness in your spirit that you're the children of God. By which you cry out, Abba, Father. The Father's main role is to bless. And in blessing, he forms identity and he releases you into your destiny to fulfill your place and what he's called for you. The enemy has worked so hard to make us feel abandoned, to disconnect us from natural fathers and mothers so that we forget what's in our spiritual DNA that at the first place we are blessed. We are loved. 
that the divine nature is imparted into our lives. And the Spirit reminds us of this, this primal spiritual DNA. I belong. I have access. I can go anywhere. My kids, you know, if you come over to my house, I'm a pretty open guy. My wife's pretty open. We would probably make most of our house available to you, but it wouldn't be normal on the first time, right? But my kids go everywhere, literally. I have a study at my house, and often I'm there at my desk, and Noah, my daughter, one of her favorite things to do is to go and hide and then scare me. And she has amazing patience. She's been doing it for about two years now. She'll get in the closet. She'll hear me going up the stairs and she'll run to my study and get in the closet and wait about 10 minutes quietly in my closet. Nothing is off limits to her. My closet, in my study. She loves to go through my bedside drawers and explore what's in there. Everything, because they have access. It's theirs. What's mine is theirs. And that's what the Father imparts to us, is access. So I'm there working away on my computer, and I think, oh, let me grab this out. I open it up. Oh, no, you didn't scare me. I knew you were in there all along, honey. I hope she doesn't do this when I'm older. Oh, Lord. Yes. We have fun. You have access. You belong. The whole house is yours. You have a good inheritance. The spirit of adoption, it releases identity. That as children of God, you say, I belong to him. I have a place in your house. I carry your name. What's yours is mine. We read in Romans 8, verse 17, we're joint heirs with Yeshua. There's both responsibility and reward with what he has blessed us with in that. The Lord is our portion. And so we brought Levi and Noah home, and they didn't speak English. My son was working. English would be his third language that he had to learn. He had a tribal language first, and then in the orphanage in Addis Ababa, he had to learn Amharic, which we know a little bit of Amharic enough to get by in basic things with kids. So that worked out really nicely, and we had kind of we were ahead of the game there. But from the very first Arab Shabbat, it was my joy to be able, thing I thought about since I was a kid, to put my hand on his head. You see, he didn't understand at that time what it meant. The Lord make you a symbol of blessing, my son, like he did Ephraim and Manasseh. Levi, the Lord has joined your heart to your mama and I. Your, the name Levi means joined. And we love your heart. We love who God's made you be. We see that you're going to be a worshiper of God. That you're going to live out boldly before others, a life in God. 
And I, every Shabbat, I would pray over him. I put my hand on him. And he couldn't understand the words in English, but there was a transaction that was still taking place. Because it's a physical impartation when a father lays his hands on the son's head that something of them is imparted to the children. And it was a number of months and they were starting to get some very basic English and starting to understand we were having a community Shabbat here at the base and Sarah was cooking in the kitchen and Chandi and Sarah were leading the Shabbat. The head table was there and I was sitting right behind you at our table, right behind you there. And when it came for the time of the blessing, I called Levi and Noah to me and Sarah's still in the kitchen, you know, cooking for 80 people or whatever it was. And I put my hand on his head just like I did every other Friday leading up to that point. Now, months down the line. And in that moment, after I blessed him, Levy sitting on my lap. He turned and he looked up at me and he took my face in his hand. He looked in my eyes and he said, Abba, thank you. You, Mama, go Ethiopia. Come home. Something like that in broken English. And the floods of tears began to pour from my eyes. Because before he could fully understand what any of the, my son, the Lord make you a symbol of blessing like he does Ephraim and Manasseh. You're going to be this destiny and all. There was a transaction from my heart to his that was taking place every Friday night and he was getting it inside of him and in that moment it clicked and he said thank you thank you for getting me thank you for getting me and my sister and making me a part of this family thank you in that moment and I just I'm like crying so hard and he's looking at me wondering and I go into the kitchen and Sarah turns around from the stove there and she's like sees me she's like what what happened what happened? I said, no, 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 it's so good. It's so good. It's so good, you know. And it's so good, right? And I tell her what happened. Boom. Tears start flowing. You're like, keep them out of the food, you know. And she's crying together there in the kitchen. Then Chandi and Sarah, they see that I had left crying. So they come, they're like, guys, what's going on? And they come around, hug us, and we tell them, and then they start crying. And I want to say, it's just an example in the smallest little way, but in the reality of life lived, it's the smallest micro example of the Father's heart to each and every one of us. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to cry out, Abba, Father, so that we belong, that we have access, that we have an inheritance, that his house is ours, that his name is ours. And everything of the spirit of the age is fighting against this in your life. And if there's anything that you get during this time, get this. The Father loves you. The Father is blessing you. The Father calls you his own. He's pleased with you. His thoughts are happy towards you. And the Spirit of God creates this longing for the fullness of the restoration of the family of God where we cry out for that revelation. Would you stand up with me as we get ready to close?
You might have the feels or not. You might connect to it today or you might connect to it a week, two weeks, two months down the road. It doesn't matter. But the moment when it changes, when it shifts in your heart from a performance-based relationship where we have to do things for God to win His pleasure to a part where we simply know that He loves us because we belong to Him and that we're His own, it frees us completely and it changes our life forever. The Holy Spirit seals you and the Holy Spirit is a guarantee and He creates a longing inside of your life for the fullness of of our relationship with Abba Father to be restored. Would you join to me by faith to release a cry, to release a groaning of the Spirit of Abba Father? That we say, God, I want to know it for my I want to know it. I want it to be so real. I reject orphan mentality. I reject abandonment. I reject all the pain of my past. I see that, Lord, you are here and you want full, restored relationship together with me. Holy Spirit, teach me and lead me into the fullness of relationship with Abba Father. Could we do that before we close? Reach down to the rawest, realest place inside of you. And let's release a cry together by faith in the Holy Spirit. And let's see a shift take place in our lives. I want that. I want more revelation today for me. I want to know Him more as Abba Father without brokenness but in the completion of who he is. And so we're going to do this three times, just because that seems like a nice thing to do as believers. Good number. In Amharic, it's Abaye. Abaye. There's something of affection in the term Abba. Connect the affections of our heart with you, Lord, by your Spirit. I don't know how you express it in your own first tongue and natural language if it's easier for you to do it that way do it or if you use Abba but let's cry out Abba Father with groanings of the Spirit with a cry of the Holy Spirit okay one two three Abba Father Abba Father Abba Father 
We thank you, Lord. And Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit will give witness in our spirits today of the reunion to the Father's heart in our lives, Lord God. Make it real. Let it go deep and reconnect us, Lord, where there's been disconnection so that we might enter into the fullness of your family and relationship with you.